Yes. Uh, I, I remember one of the things I wanted to get back to, and that's on the global warming that we, we touched on and just mm-hmm. sort of a, uh, just showing how I think this is next in this process of manipulation where special powers can be taken. And just just if you take just global warming for an example, just again, you know, let's let's all go up to that 30,000 foot level and look down at global warming. And uh, the problem is it's it's taught now as fact. But it's taught as fact with with no facts to back it up. What they do is is something we talked about in our first session was what the left always does. And that's it comes to an, a, a conclusion and then it goes and finds data points that fit that conclusion and ignores absolutely everything else there is in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's what global warming is based on. They'll point to like, oh, well, this area of whatever, you know, it's it's warmer temperatures there. And then they'll point to this other area and go, oh, well, there's colder temperatures there. That's all proof of, you know, climate change. Well, <laughs> which is it? You know, you you know, you know, can't predict the weather correctly for next week. You know, how are you <laughs> predicting weather for 10 years from now? I mean, how, how full of crap can you be? And and yet they're saying, oh, well, all these globing trends, uh, you know, the oceans are going to raise, you know, an inch a year or whatever. And, you know, here's the problem with all of that. Naturally. These gases in the atmosphere on Earth go up and down. There's things, for example, like water vapor. Water vapor is a greenhouse gas. That causes the local temperatures or on a fairly wide basis, widespread basis, to go up and down based on the amount of water vapor in the air. But that Mm -hmm. can vary by huge percentages. And so the amount of, say, carbon dioxide that goes into the atmosphere, the vast majority of that comes from the oceans, from plankton and the plant life, all these, all these different things, all of that, all of that, you know, shows up out in the atmosphere from natural causes. And it's in huge amounts. And the entire production of mankind, you know, by comparison, we're talking a thousandth of a percent, a millionth of a percent, those sorts of amounts. We're not talking about we're impacting the nitrogen in the atmosphere by 25 percent. You know, we're talking a millionth of a percent. So mm. nowhere out there, anywhere, is there actually a mathematical model of how global warming works. There isn't one. I've searched mm. over and over for it. When I first heard about it, I thought, well, let's sit down and take a look at this. In order for this to be more than just like talking over drinks, you have to have a mathematical model that says these are the relationships between all of these gases in the atmosphere, nitrogen, oxygen, in their various percentages. And Mm -hmm. if we do this and this one goes up by a tenth of a percent or a thousandth of a percent, which, by the way, natural variation is greater than the impact of what man is able to put into it. So just on the basis of it, it makes no sense. There's no logic to it at all. But nowhere in the universe does anybody have a mathematical model put together that says, well, if you add a millionth of a percent of this gas, a tenth of a percent of that gas, and water vapor goes up and it does this and it does that, it's going to change the weather over a 20-year period or a 10-year period. You know, There is no mathematical model. So Anyone who says, oh, it's it's settled science, you know, it's it's 
it's only a, just a vague theory with very few facts that that even suggest it's true. If if anyone that says that, just say, okay, fine. Where is the mathematical model that shows if this gas goes up this percentage or goes down this percentage, you know, and all of the different gases that are in the atmosphere, you know, how do they impact each other? If you know, if, if oxygen mm-hmm. goes up, does that impact nitrogen? If nitrogen goes down, does that impact you know? Carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. I mean, where is that theory? Where is that mathematical model so we can test against it and measure results? And it's nowhere. It doesn't exist. It's too complex. Nobody can do it. And it doesn't make sense anyway, because there's no facts that suggest it's true. So, I mean, just that mm, that that whole thing that is just this enormous emotional argument yep. that is mm-hmm. that's completely devoid of any like scientific data. And like I said, that data Pointing at a piece of data is meaningless unless you have a, an overarching theory, you know, a, a mathematical concept there that it fits into. You mm-hmm. have to have the overall mathematical model for those little beats, bits of data to fit into so that you can say, see, it does this or it does that. And the reason, of course, that they don't do any of that is because it doesn't work. And, you know, then they'd be pointing at data points. You'd look at the mathematical model and go, well, that didn't have any impact. So mm-hmm. and geologically, you know, the, if you look at the last, I don't know, million years, you know, all the geologists and actual scientists are saying that the earth is in a cooling period, which is why they had to get rid of global warming. And now they're saying climate change, you know, so mm-hmm. I just, how uh-huh. nice do you have to be, you know, it's only based on ignorance and emotion. If you look at the facts, you see it's all false. Yet here we are, are on the cusp. Of this becoming uh, a situation as soon as COVID-19 passes, uh, which eventually it has to, as soon as that is done, then I think global warming or climate change, whatever you want to call it today, that is then going to be used to be the next national emergency that requires special powers to go to the government. And I think they're already lining it up. We hear people talk about it. And the European Union is doing a lot in that area. For example, because of uh, global warming, climate change, blah, 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 you know, they've downsized the size of motors on vacuum cleaners, for example, by regulation. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, okay. Where's the study that shows that vacuum cleaners are, you know, the danger to the earth and, you know, cow flatulence? You know, show me that mathematical model where methane, which is just a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the earth's atmosphere, show me where, you know, how much flatulence comes from cows, what percentage overall is that of the methane that's on the entire globe in the atmosphere, and how much does it have to be to 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 mean we have to do X, Y, or Z or kill off all the cows? It's what it is, is it's a sociological control. It has nothing whatsoever to do with any science. It's all mm-hmm. about control. And right. but that's like I said, you the, the leftist philosophy is that by its nature. Liberals, progressives, communists, socialists, that is who and what they are. Because it's the state that needs to be in control. And we belong to the state. And so they're the ones that have to set policy, decide what's best for everyone, and we have to obey that. So that's that that philosophy of the left, whereas many independents and certainly the conservatives believe in rights of the individual. Mm-hmm. And of course, myself, I believe in individual rights, not the rights of the state. 
the reason we had the U.S. Constitution was to keep the government in check so it does not become a tyranny like we had to escape out of England. And mm -hmm. where arbitrary rule, the king could say whatever he wanted, you know, left-handed redheads would all be executed at midnight, you know, and he could give <laughs> that order and it'd be carried out. And just arbitrary rule. And that's that's what tyranny is. And, of course, that's what absolute power always ends up being. So if, if absolute power ends up in the hands of the state, it will always end up as a dictator, dictatorship of a single individual who will control that uh control that country. And we've just seen that happen over and over and over, you know, point to any, you know, any country of that nature. And it's always the way it ends up. It'll always end up in a, in the hands of a strong man who's a dictator who then that's what that's, that's the a great definition of tyranny. So it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, any moral person really should be disgusted by what we see out of today, out of out of any of those things. the Well, let's talk about that, Brad, because now you're talking about tyranny. We've got this censorship that's outrageous. If anybody says anything uh, against the, the, the mainstream narrative, they're censored. People are being forced to be vaccinated, you know, get the jab. And how did we come to this? I just, it's outrageous. It's been a slow process. And it's uh, uh, one of the things that's, uh, you know, really, I, to, in my opinion, at least, I'm, I'm sure there are other arguments to be made out there. But in my opinion, this started following World War II, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. at State Department. And if you look at State Department, the history of it, it's been around since the beginning of the United States. And uh, it was always an organization that actually did a lot of stuff. The 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 State Department was a, a you know a happening place, if you let me put it that way, <laughs> prior to World War II. After World War II, it became bureaucratized and taken over by the left. And this is something that we saw in Hollywood, which, is, of course, is where in the uh, in the 50s we start to see uh, McCarthy push back against it. And famously, mm -hmm. you know, he was kind of all his influence and positions were taken away from him in Congress. And it turns out one of the things that he was saying is that he had proof that people were spying from within Congress. Well, I mean, excuse me, from from within the State Department. And it turns out he was right. You know, all of those spies, Alger Hiss, all that was proven and, and known to be true. And so McCarthy was right. There were spies in State Department, but State Department was kind of consumed by the left. It was open to because it had this. Um, I There are people on the left that consider this this to be like super open minded as some sort of intellectual, uh, you know, grandiose sort of thing. And in, under their definition of open-minded, which means that they're open to, uh, they're susceptible to being influenced by outsiders who are operating against them. Now, for for example, for me as an old human professional, you know, intelligence officer, I look at that and go, ah, useful idiots, you know, dupes. These are people I can swoop in, gain their gain control over them, get them to do what I want because they're they're doing this all in the, you know, to the greater glory of being open-minded, which just means they're basically empty-headed. And that's kind of what you saw in State Department. And from there, you know, it spread to Hollywood. They were able to basically take control over Hollywood in the in kind of the pushback against McCarthy. And it began to spread and spread and spread. It was one of those things that I saw, even in my time in the agency, uh, we became bureaucratized at the CIA. And it's what happened at DOJ at FBI, CDC, NSA, the military, for the most part, it's happening right now to DHS. 
uh, all of these organizations, all of this, the federal agencies in the U.S. government have become more and more and more and more bureaucratized, which is why I, I, I like to point out as often as I can, Democrats don't really care about elections per se. They want to win. They certainly want to have the president. But the I would say the senior people who are comfortable in their positions, like Nancy Pelosi, for example, I'm sure she views herself as a, eternal and you know staying there until the day she drops over dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know she's not worried about getting reelected. So the leadership, and there's some of that in the Republican Party too. The leadership doesn't care that much about elections because they feel secure. Mm-hmm. Some of the rank and file, not so much. They'll get pushed back out of the rank and file if they do something so unpopular that they know they'll lose their seat. But at the leadership levels, that's just how they view it. Now, from the Democrats' perspective, the Democrat leadership perspective, they all know that it's they're, they're going to be able to, if they need to, they'll leave Congress and go work at CNN or you know, go work at one of the universities or go work for some institute that's funded out of China. And so they know that they can move around all of these positions if they have to, because it's this revolving door and all those things. I mean, uh, you know, most of the guys, you look at the lead anchor on CNN, that's a that's an Obama, you know, campaign. And and uh, I think what was he, he was the uh, I forget what the position was, but he was he was one of the guys that had a senior position in the Clinton administration, rather not not Obama. And mm-hmm. uh, these guys all, they're just, that's their background. That's who they are. That's what they do. And, and uh, that's how they see these things. And so if they have control of the government agencies, they don't, what do they need a majority in the, uh, in the house for? Mm-hmm. They don't really need it. Nice to have, but they don't really need it. Whenever they, when they actually have it, like right now with Biden president, they have control of the house and the Senate, both. They're just constantly getting in hot water. Because they're trying to do stuff. <laughs> and so and they're getting a lot of pushback. Everybody's pissed at them about how they've handled COVID. Everybody's pissed at them about how they've handled the border. And everybody's pissed about the whole Afghanistan thing. So it's just, you know, that's one of the problems they have when they're actually in charge and they don't have somebody else to blame. You know, then clearly they're the ones screwing it all up. <laughs> and so they, they get their butts kicked. But as long as they have control of all the agencies, they don't need control of the house. They don't even need the presidency. This is exactly what happened to Donald Trump. Unfortunately, Donald Trump didn't understand this coming in, but all of the federal agencies were looking for ways to stab him in the back. And we've seen all, you know the James Comeys and the uh, the different people that were around in the in these positions in charge of these agencies clearly hated Trump you know, to their very core and would do anything to resist or stab him in the back. And time after time, he'd have a conversation with somebody in Ukraine and say, hey, make sure you enforce the law. And they're going, see, you know, it's tit for tat. He's doing something illegal. He needs to be impeached. And, you know, now we have a guy that, you know, has done some stuff. I don't know. That's highly questionable. His son, Hunter, and what appears to be illegal activities related to possible bribes from China. Nobody cares. And by the way, I'll, I'll one little thing about that company in mm-hmm. U- Ukraine that was so so famous, where Joe Biden mm-hmm. bragged on TV about getting that that prosecutor out who was, uh, you know, investigating a, the company his son worked for, mm-hmm. Hunter. Right. You know, it, it, what Biden always says, well, that whole story about me doing anything wrong has been debunked. So you know, you can look up. Okay, what's the source of the de- debunking? 
So the other half of the story, Biden brags that he got the prosecutor thrown out of office or he wasn't going to give the aid to Ukraine. So they threw the prosecutor out of the office. And but what they don't say is Biden also handpicked his replacement. And Biden put into that position as prosecutor his handpicked Ukrainian guy. Mm. And the source of the debunking is that same handpicked Ukrainian guy that he put into that position. <laughs> That's the guy that Biden says debunked the whole thing. Now, he doesn't say, oh, this guy I handpicked debunked it. He just says, oh, no, that whole thing's been debunked. But if you look at who debunked it, you know, that's his guy. And so, of course, he's going to debunk it. He's going to say, oh, this is all not true. But where's the press? Where are they? That little nugget that came out of One American News Network, OAN, is, are the ones that, that discovered that. And yet nobody picks that up. Nobody cares. Nobody reports on it. It's just it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And the press, if we actually had a press, you know, would, would be so helpful. I mean, and then people like you and myself wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have to take our time and effort and all of that to do these sorts of things because, you know, the press would be doing their own freaking job. You know? Right. <laughs> I, you know, I, my shows, and you mentioned thank you, it's, it's, and the, the website is intelreform.org. But uh, my shows, these, and I put out podcasts essentially daily and do the live show on Thursdays. My uh, podcasts are, are part of the news preparation cycle for uh, the press in the United States. I see myself uh, quoted all the time, never given credit. Oh, and, interesting. Know, they don't mention where they get it, but I see what my words coming out of people's mouths. I did a, a, a couple of years ago, I did a little uh, element. There was a, uh, you know, ISIS and, and uh, Al Qaeda have uh, magazines they put out there, online, you know, electronic magazines, but they're very nice, you know, great photographs, very professionally done. Mm -hmm. uh, and in those, they, uh, Dabik is one of them. And there, there are a couple of names of these things. They have, I think, three that are fairly, fairly accepted out there that come from them. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be looked up in Wikipedia if anybody cares. But so I, I pulled up one of these magazines and I, and I printed it off and I'm holding it up. And I said, see, I'm, you know, in front of the camera, holding it up next to me saying, see, this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, the, the fifth, one that came out this year it was put out this date this month and in here if you flip to page 11 it says uh you know this is what you do 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 and now look at that fire out in california and look at the steps what they've come out with so far it goes this 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 you look at the the crime that took place and you look at this magazine and it's it's a perfect fit you know oh, wow. why would anybody think this is not a terrorist attack when they're following the instructions they were given in this magazine word for word and so yeah. like i don't know about a week later 10 days later on fox news out comes the this this uh, you know the talking head and he holds up the same issue and says word for word my whole thing that went on for like 60 seconds. So it was a 60-second piece. He even flipped to page 11 and pointed to page 11 and went down the list word for word for word for what I said. Oh, my so God. It's just, yeah, it's just, just, <laughs> That's too it's, funny. It's, oh, yeah. I mean, it's atrocious. But they don't want to – you know, I guess I'm too – too straightforward speaking and don't say things softly for, you know, everyone's feelings not to get hurt. So right. they, they don't like to, to, to come directly to the source, but oh my God, will they steal the material? Well, you know, Brad, I can't help but think that if we didn't have this, all of the censorship, that things would be so much different because people would have easy access to information from all points of view. 
now uh, people can't really, I, you know, when they say uh, informed consent, uh, uh, there's no informed consent because people don't really know. That's absolutely right. And I, you know, I, I don't know how if you've suffered from it much, but my stuff, the live events, I cannot leave up on YouTube because I'll get strikes for it. And they were, right. uh, for, it just ended. Uh, but I was, I hit their algorithm on YouTube and they would take off. It was about 85. They, the, the records they show, the analysis is of the previous 28 days. So for several months, I had uh, almost exactly 85 people, uh, you know, go, you know, stop following me on YouTube. Oh, you know, oh, just to, to the right number every 28 days for months and months where for years I had been on YouTube and my numbers would just go up. I was gaining viewers all the time, all the time, up all the time. And got up to like, I know, 17,500 roughly and then got a couple strikes and they started using their algorithm on me. And I would go down 85 every 28 days. I would just just oh, steadfast okay. be going down, even though I would look on there and I'd be going, you know, I would be getting, you know, more followers, more followers. My numbers kept going down and I lost about 2000 that way. Well, viewers would come on to me and say, hey, Brad, you know, somehow I got unfollowed on you. I didn't do it. You know, YouTube did it to me and I had to refollow you. So I would get comments from viewers like that all the time. So, I mean, you know what they're doing. Now that finally has ended for me and suddenly just light switch. Now my numbers are starting to go back up again, but I had a couple months where I, I had 750 some odd videos on my channel. I took almost all of them off. I only left like a hundred that were very neutral or talking about overseas things. I don't, you know, I'm not talking about Biden or anything like the elections or anything that pisses off YouTube. I just got rid of all that stuff. And now I'm being much more careful what I put there. That's why most of my stuff goes on on my website, which I can control. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, mm -hmm. there you can go see everything on, on Facebook. They're a little better. Twitter. I, I dropped from, I had what, 11,000 uh, followers there and dropped to 5,000 over a very short period of time where again, you know, my numbers have been going up, going up, going up, going up, going up for a couple of years. And then suddenly, boom, I'm down like 6,000 in a month. And, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and now it's been flat ever since my numbers never go up. But if you go in and look, I get them gaining follower after follower, but my num numbers never go up. So, I mean, it's, it's what they do, you know, the press, academia, Hollywood, Democrat party, they're all this, you know, homogeneous group of people that, that only want to hear what they have to say. They're not interested in debate. They're not interested in honing their message through debate because that's just not who they are. That's not what they want. They don't want facts. What they want is obedience. And so if you're only after obedience, you don't care about the facts. You don't, you just, you say whatever you have to say to get what you want. And, mm -hmm. and that's why we see them just name call i've you and i have talked about this offline but never in all the years of my doing this with all the stuff that i come out and say and, and much of what i say is very bipartisan but some of the stuff is very conservative too uh but in all this time in all those years never ever have even one time have i had a liberal come on or a socialist or a communist or anybody come on and debate what i say mm -hmm. the only thing they do is come on and and call me racist or, you know, they call me names. They don't debate what I say because, mm -hmm. again, that's that's not what they want. What they want to do is insult you, call you names and make you stop talking. They want you to shut up mm -hmm. uh, because they don't want that debate because they don't need it. It's just 
has nothing to do with the control they're trying to impose. So it's it it doesn't matter the issue. Gun control, global warming, COVID-19, it doesn't matter what the issue is. The goals remain the same every single time with every single one. That is to gain greater control unto the hands of government and impose government's will on the people. Mm-hmm. Well, but before COVID-19, we did, I don't think we had this kind of censorship. I mean, from what I understand, the the mainstream narrative is pushing out there that that all of the social media, all of the places where we have to go to get information that is actually, I mean, I'm sure there's some misinformation, but there's a lot of accurate information that's backed up, that all of that is disinformation, and that the mainstream narrative is the only correct and accurate information. And a lot of people believe that. There, yes, there are there are people that do believe that, uh, but this type of censorship has existed for a very long time, long before COVID. Only now, mm-hmm. with COVID, do they have an excuse to fight it publicly? So they're oh, saying, okay. "Well, we have to save lives. We're doing what's right for the people. We're saving lives, and anyone out there that says anything different than us, you're killing people." So they have they have an excuse to fight it openly, but the censorship has gone on, you know. All along with with uh, with you know the conservative message. I mean, just take a guy like Rush Limbaugh that actually kind of was the the spearhead, the pointy end of the spear of of the conservative message being out there for people to to you know to to be able to listen to, and it was never ending crescendo of criticism of him. And it was they were always trying to shut him up. They even tried to create the fairness doctrine, which basically was going to say that. That shows that like CNN, which is just an absolute mouthpiece of the left and nothing more, uh, that they were the, you know, like fair, equal news. Mm -hmm. And that people like Rush Limbaugh had to have equal time. That was what that law said. So that if Rush Mm -hmm. Limbaugh was on for three hours, he also had to put on for three hours somebody who was carrying the message from the left. Mm -hmm. but. People carrying the message from the left were not impacted. They didn't have to put on, you know, CNN's 24-7. They didn't have to have 12 hours of their coverage be by conservatives. So mm-hmm. that, you know, that as a way to try and shut up the conservative movement has existed for decades. And it's just it's just getting worse now. So it's more apparent. Uh, and they're becoming, I would say, it's gotten to the point where the left is no longer afraid to show their true colors and you're starting to see things like how they admire, you know, the communist Chinese. And, you know, we I there was somebody from the Obama administration. I forget her name, but she came out and said, well, whenever I'm worried of what to do, I just think, you know, what would Chairman Mao have done? Oh, well, God. You know, Chairman Mao, you mean that largest murderer to ever exist in the in the, you know, in the records of humanity? That guy, that same Chairman Mao, the Communist Party guy, you would think about what he does. Well, he'll, he would kill people. That's what he would do. So is that what you're proposing, Democrat Party? You know, I, it, it's it's beyond me, the lack of morality and and um, think where we found ourselves in life. But that's also if you if you look, I mean, that's what the left pushes. They're always saying, you know, there there shouldn't be morality. There shouldn't be judgment of people. You shouldn't be judging these people or anyone. And if you do, that's white privilege, racism, blah, blah, blah. And that's why, it's you know, if you look back, there's just always a name. Now it's white privilege. That's the big thing. And they're trying mm-hmm. to teach critical race theory. But what is that? You know, that's to divide and conquer the population. It's to put down the white population 
And, you know, to be able to put minorities in positions of more authority and because the white population is a, uh, you know, a power block within our society. But there's a lot of liberals, too, there, but it's a power block within our society. So therefore, it has to be controlled. Same thing for religion. I mean, if you look at how religion has been treated over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, you see it under constant attack where even the Catholic Church, I'm not a Catholic, but even the Catholic Church, was, which has been a. Uh, a bastion of kind of traditional values has a, a you know an outspoken communist as the pope uh it's just it's everything's kind of weird and upside down and you know no longer is there you know a a, a you know a safe place to go where you can like have your kids in school and and uh, not be subject to critical race theory which you know again it's just you know it there, there are very few facts involved in this it's all emotional argument and I just don't – how is it a good thing that half the kids in school are taught that they're no good, they're evil racists, and even though they don't think they are, they are, and they're terrible, and they shouldn't speak when walking into a room. They should just go sit in the back of the bus, You know those sorts of things. How is it a good thing to teach that? And a guy like Dr. Seuss that taught you know, in his books and stuff that everybody should be treated equally, that's the bad guy. You know, that's the guy that has to be thrown out. Dr. Seuss, you know, treat everybody equally. And that's so uh, crazy. I, I yeah. don't, I, wow. I, I mean, I didn't, I was kind of coming late to the party because I, I don't have young kids. So I, you know, I didn't know really what was going on. But I, I just, I, I can't believe that. Hmm, yeah, it's quite a bit different from when I was in school. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no there's very little rational thought anymore. It's just it's all, you know, you're in an echo chamber of bobbleheads that all see and think and talk about the same things and nothing else. And anyone else that wants to say anything else, that's evil. And you you do see I mean, the Democrat Party have said often that the greatest threat to the United States is are the Republicans and the conservatives. Mm -hmm. I mean, they say that stuff. And what do the Republicans do, you know, or the conservatives? It's like, well, we've got to fix terrorism problems and stuff like that. So, you know, the, the conservatives are the only ones basically holding it together at, with any effort at trying to do what's right, which is where poor President Trump, I think, got into trouble coming back to him is he just he came in innocent of all of these things, just very naive about what federal government is like, which you know, God bless him. I don't really wish that upon people to know what federal government is like. But mm -hmm. uh, he came in thinking that once everybody sees that what he is trying to do is the very best thing for the country that he can do, that people are just naturally going to want to, you know, fall in line and work with him and help him. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, he just has to show them, look, this is the right thing. Look, look, this is working. You know, why don't you guys work with me? Help me. And you know, I'm, I'm sure he looked at it as like a business deal. If he goes to another, you know, real estate developer and says, dude, look, you've got this thing that you can do well. I've got this that I do well. Let's go in on this together and we're going to make a fortune. It's a good deal. You know, a business guy would look at that and go, yeah, okay, I'll run the numbers. If it looks good, we'll do it. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's not how it works in government. And all the federal agencies hated him. They were all trying to stab him in the back and the resist movement was born. Think of what that is. I mean, that essentially is treason. You know, mm -hmm. a duly elected president of the United States of America and all of the people in the federal government walking the hallways of Washington, D.C. were all saying resist. We have to resist. They were saying stuff. I was, you know, I would go to some of these agencies and be wandering around and you just you'd hear conversations in the hallway. Well, we have to figure out how to resist. 
We have to do it. We have to figure out how to resist. And that's all up and down at different levels. Now, again, that was concentrated in federal government and Washington, D.C. area. I think if you went out to, you know, the FBI office in Kansas or, you know, something like that, you probably didn't hear that much of that sort of thing. But if you're around Washington, D.C., that's all they talked about. And DOJ and all of them, they're all that way. So, you know, how do we fix it? We talked about that a little bit last time, but it's 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 going to have to be precisely the right person with the with the American public really pissed off to make those things happen. And Mm -hmm. I have I have theories of how it could be done and how it should be done. But, uh, you know, I, I we just have to find a leader who's got the wherewithal to do such a thing. But. For example, a government reorganization, I mean, we're extremely wasteful. So if you actually had a company that came in that's a private sector company that's a, a modern efficiency expert on on how large organizations need to be organized in order to work efficiently, if they came in and started making recommendations, you could follow all those and 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 find a way to get rid of you know, a lot of the a lot of mm-hmm. the crap that's in federal government. You know, most people have forgotten now. Department of Education only got created under Jimmy Carter didn't exist before that and dhs everybody knows you know that's only been around a few years Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. and you're just sort of like adding layers here and creating this little thing and you know nowhere in is the federal government like integrated to work smoothly to reduce overlap and all of that if you got rid of overlap you'd probably reduce the government by half just that wow Wow. Plus all of the, um, I've been listening to um, Dr. Stephen Greer. He's talking about all of the money going to these unacknowledged um, projects having to do with, you know, with these uh, alien technology and, you know, the billions of dollars that, that how, and how it gets funneled and, you know, to these projects that aren't even acknowledged that are illegal and it's like wow. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much money that's that's siphoned off. I mean, there's all the waste, and then there's also all the money that gets siphoned off into these black ops projects and in these unacknowledged projects. It's crazy. Well, I guess you could say the CIA is one ginormous, you know, unacknowledged project. So mm-hmm. you know, with with hidden budget and all that sort of stuff, there's no bill in Congress for budget that says CIA budget this amount. It's all you know, disguised in different places. So that is certainly how government works when they want to do something then develop a project and things like that. They uh, they have to dissimulate where it's taking place and how much it's cost costing and all of those sorts of things. So that's mm-hmm. actually pretty, pretty common, I would say, whether it's used nefariously or not, I don't, you know, wouldn't necessarily know, right. but. You know. Well, probably not always, but okay. So to end well, we're just going to have a long conversation because we can't see, we can't keep it short. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, You're picking uh, you know, topics that are big. I, I know, I know. Um, what, what can people do now? I mean, I, I just, I see this slippery slope going to a, a tyrannical government. I've seen sort of the, uh, the the Nazi playbook and it's kind of following the same thing. Um, it's sort of the uh, uh, you know slowly you get people used to different restrictions and they you know they accept and then you, you you the next one I mean you know what happened to two weeks of lockdown to flatten the curve that was a bunch of bullshit obviously. Um, what do you see that that people can do should do to help? stop this. I mean, one thing I do is if a store won't let me go in 
with a, a, a clear face shield. If they insist on a mask, they're not getting my money because I don't, you know, from everything I've seen, the only people who should be wearing masks are people who are sick and that this is just a, another, another form of control. I don't know. What are, what are the things that, that people can do? People have to stand up and say no. I think Chris Guy's right. Just, you know, united noncompliance and just stand up and say no. If enough people did that, I think there'd be a, there could be a change. Perhaps. Um, I, I think what we have to do is have those people stand up and just say no uh, in government. And mm. uh, I, I, and that means we have to elect people with that capability to, or, you know, willingness to stand up and say no that way. We have had some movement in that direction with the Freedom Caucus in Congress. Now, so it's a little bit, you know, those are where kind of the conservatives go that get elected, which is, a, you know, a part of the Republican Party, but kind of a separate part where there are, there are a, you know, a harder core group of people that would probably be willing to do something. But that's a minority. So mm-hmm. if, if they were suddenly the majority of the Republican Party and leadership was elected from their ranks, I think that would go a long ways because we'd get rid of the people like Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell was was basically a resist guy. He didn't like Donald Trump. And, you know, he would go to Donald Trump when he needed help. But then he would turn around and stab him in the back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did OK getting judges through and and things like that, where he would he was getting the, the approvals through the Senate. Uh, he was he was good in that score. But other than that, he was he was essentially working against Trump at at every level. And he's, by the way, much like Dan Feinstein, senator from California, he's also made hundreds of millions of dollars by doing business with China. So personally, I would love to see a restriction where if you get elected to the Congress or the Senate, you know, take whatever you're, you have to do annual reports on, on your net worth and all of that, what you own, take whatever that is, you know, add in a, a normal growth rate over a period of time. And on top of that, as soon as you make $10 million or $20 million or $30 million or, or whatever the amount is, uh, as soon as you make that much more above and beyond what you were already worth, then you're done. You're out of Congress. You can't run again. You're not allowed to run again. Cause I, I just, you cannot, go to Congress and at the end of a 15 or 20 or 25 year career be worth half a billion dollars and have that be clean. You know, Mm -hmm. you've been influenced along the way if you've made hundreds of millions of dollars. And do we want guys that are worth half a billion dollars, you know, being in charge of being in, you know, the minority uh, head of the minority party or the majority party. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is reportedly worth millions and millions too. And mm-hmm. all these guys, I mean, I, I think there should be a, a, a dollar limit on how much you can make by being a, a congressman or a senator. I mean, you know, they always talk about pay their fair share, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and also I think, I mean, I've often, I've said for a long time, I thought there should be term limits on the Senate and the House and that also, there should be a limit to the amount that can be contributed to uh, people running for office. 
Well, there are limits to that directly. Of course, that's been bypassed by super PACs. They're always going to find a way around it. But let me give you a little nugget of information that's kind of interesting. Uh, congressmen run, and they run for two-year terms. Every congressman runs every two years. The Senate side's different. The senators run every six years, and it's staggered. They don't all run every six years. They, you know, Some run you know, every two years, and then two years, another group mm-hmm. goes through it, another two years, another mm-hmm. group goes through it. But in Congress, they all run uh, every two years. So a congressman who has two terms, he's elected twice. So he sits in office for four years, gets full retirement when he leaves. Wow. Full retirement. Those guys come out of there and they make something like 55% of their salary in which they get what, like a hundred and I think they're like 190. They're right around $200,000 a year. So if they, they go to Congress, they work their four years as a congressman and then leave, they get a hundred thousand dollar retirement for four years. Wow. You know, nobody else anywhere in government does that. And they thought they weren't being paid enough because of all of their expenses. So, of course, they were voting themselves raise after raise after raise and got so stinky because everybody was looking at it going, hey, you guys, come on, this is out of control. Then what they did is they voted themselves a $50,000 deduction. <laughs> so now but for being a congressman, you get a $50,000 deduction. Wow. For for just for being a congressman. Well, I'm 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 trying to find a way to do that to vote myself a a $50,000 deduction, but I don't seem to be able to figure out quite how to do it. <laughs> oh, I I mean it's sometimes I think oh my god, it's just so corrupt that I I, I don't even know if it's fixable, you know. Really. Well, and where are the Republicans complaining about this stuff? Where are they? You know, you don't I don't I don't hear anybody talking about it. Just I, there's almost no subject you can can mention that's not just completely full of crap. I mean, take Social Security. Social Security has been a lie and a sham since the first day it was put in. Every penny of money that we pay to Social Security does the exact same thing as that same penny or dollar that we pay in income tax. They both go into the same checking account at the IRS, at Treasury, and that's, you know, the the just the general fund. It is mm. a tax that goes into the general fund just like anything else. It does not, it's not held and set aside for anything having to do with Social Security. It is a straight up tax just like in- income tax and that's all. Now, they are obligated out of that to pay money back out to the people who've paid in over the years for Social, mm-hmm. social Security. But that fund is separately funded by Congress. You know, it's, it's, it's a completely separate line item. It has nothing whatsoever to do with what you pay into Social Security. That payout is completely different, has nothing whatsoever to do with it, handled by two different agencies. Everything is different. Wow, so, I did not know that. <clears throat> yeah, all a lie. All a lie from the very beginning. And they always say, well, there's a safety net. There's this, there's that, the other. Well, that's all a lie. It's all a lie. All of it just goes into the general fund, just like your income tax money does. And of course, now what they're doing is because the burden has grown, the amounts they pay go up and the num- and people mm-hmm. are living longer. All of this stuff, as the burden goes up, that's why they're saying, OK, before you could always retire at 65. And now at this point, I think it's 66. And, you know, in a year, it goes up to 67. And they just mm-hmm. keep moving it up and up and up to reduce their cost because they spend that money. They take the Social Security money and spend it, and they spend it on their little projects. It's just another pork pork barrel spending scheme, and that's that's all this stuff is. And if you look at the language 
communists are always big on language things. They say these words and manipulate them to mean certain things. You can think of you can think of Bill Clinton who says, well, it depends on what the meaning of is is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they say stuff like that that just, you know, I don't know why people just don't laugh at them when they say stupid stuff like that. But uh, they they're now they're talking about these projects, the Biden projects now to build bridges and all that stuff. Well, we did that under Obama. Same mm-hmm. thing. Remember, mm-hmm. shovel-ready mm-hmm. jobs? Mm-hmm. Well, then it, it all blew up in his face. And he goes, well, I guess the jobs weren't as shovel-ready as we thought. Ha, ha, ha. And that's it. Everybody moved on. Well, it's the same thing all over again. They're doing the same thing all over again. But now what's the language that they're saying? You know, they're really pushing it. They're saying it, this is an investment. This is an investment. This isn't tax and spend. We're mm-hmm. investing in America. Mm-hmm. And that makes it sound good to people. Mm-hmm. Yes, we want investment in America. But this isn't investment in America. This is taxing and spending. And that money, as everybody's seen, it's only like 10% of it that actually goes to building bridges. The 90% of it is all pork barrel stuff. It goes to the constituents of this person or that person. You know, in essence, it's money laundering. And much of that money goes to, for example, teachers unions and different unions that support the Democrat Party. And so what do those people do? They turn around, then they have the funds to give to Democrat candidates. Mm. I mean, that mm-hmm. is the definition of money laundering. That should be illegal. But, you know, it's not because they get money out of it. And, you know, again, it's one of those things you don't see anybody talking about. It. So it's so entrenched. You asked, your question was that started it off on this is how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, you also expressed doubt that it's fixable, which I, you know, I agree. I'm not sure it is fixable. But, uh, you know, how do you get all of those people out that that form that swamp? Because it's the people that form the swamp, not the regulations. Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. get rid of all those people? How do you move it so far down? Now, there's certain things that, that could be done that I would recommend. Like I said, I would bring in an efficiency group. And I think you could you could probably and have it make a great deal of sense, just reduce overlap and probably get rid of 50 percent of government. But also, you know, people need to be made aware, too, if if. If I give a dollar to a charity organization, you know, pick one, they're all rated by their efficiency and some have high administrative costs. And so they're rated low and some have mm-hmm. uh, very efficient systems and they're rated high. So, for example, a really good charity is 90 percent efficient. If you give them a dollar, 90 cents of that actually gets spent for the charity's purpose. Mm-hmm. Only 10 percent goes to their overhead cost. An inefficient one would be 50%. Most of them below that don't get any money. Mm-hmm. So it's 50% administrative costs, meaning they pay themselves and they rent an office and they have cars and gas and all that. Those administrative costs, only 50%, 50 cents of that dollar would actually go to the charity. And uh, how does, you know, what people don't think of is if, if government gives a dollar to that charity, Versus me as an individual giving a dollar to that charity. Let's say we pick an efficient charity. They're 90% efficient. I give them a dollar, 90 cents goes where it's supposed to go. I can deduct that dollar then when I do my taxes. Let's say it's the government program comes in. They take over. They give that charity a dollar. What everybody forgets is the government is about 95% inefficiency. There's huge overhead in the government. So for that tax dollar that they take from me, 95% 95% of that gets spent on whatever other stuff there is. You know, you have to take into account their overhead, like Congress, the IRS, all of, you know, the military, all of these huge spending programs that are out there going on, that only about five cents of my dollar will get to that charity. 
That means they have to have 20 other people just like me also giving that dollar to get the one dollar to that charity. Whereas if I just gave them the dollar, they'd have the dollar, you know, 90% mm -hmm. efficient. That means 20 people to replace me. They suck the juice out of the economy, you know, of the, of, of the country by doing these spend programs. So, you know, just think this, what they're calling an investment in America, those billions of dollars that they're spending on that stuff, that tax money has to come out of people's pockets, meaning they're not going to spend it in the economy. So they're sucking it off the top. And then they're spending it in the economy, but it's temporary. It's just a temporary shot where they're giving jobs to people to fix that bridge that'll take a year. So, okay, good that a guy gets a job for a year doing that, but bad and it's only a year. But if the money mm -hmm. stays in the economy and I had that billion dollars, I'm not going to you know, stuff my mattress with it and sleep on it at night. You know, I'm going to go invest it in something. And that's what happens mm -hmm. to the capital. That's why it's capitalism. They You reinvest that money into the economy, and that's where jobs come from. They always talk about uh, – Obama famously said, well, you didn't build that bridge. You didn't build that road. But in fact, it was. It was private individuals and businesses that paid their taxes, and that tax money is indeed exactly what built that road and built that bridge. That's exactly where it comes from. And people underestimate the value of banking, but loans out of banks is what has – created the wealth of the United States of America. That's really where the wealth has come from, ex-banker here speaking. And <laughs> the, the loans, when you need a business loan to start a business, you're able to get the capital infusion. You need to get that up and running. You get it up and running. You pay back the loan. You have employees. The economy grows. That's where growth comes from. Even you see it on a small scale for all of us out there who buy a home. We, you know, most of us don't have cash to pay. I wish I had, but have never. And it was always you buy it with a mortgage. Well, you pay that mortgage off and you have that home. It's a nest egg for you as you age and there's cash in there for you. That's just a small example of how capitalism makes growth. It makes the economy grow. It makes everybody wealthier. That's what we have to have to propose. That's why freedom of the individual is far more important than the rights of the state. Uh, the rights of the, of the state should only be in cases where it's really needed, like the military or diplomacy and things like that. But again, where do we get somebody? First of all, most of these people in Congress don't even understand what we're talking about. They, you know, <laughs> if, if this subject was in front of them, they wouldn't know what the frack we're talking about. Hmm. And so it's hard to get somebody that actually understands it who then understands what the solution has to be, who's then willing to actually act on that solution. And as I've said, the best candidate we have out there right now would be a second term by Trump. But I'm not sure Trump understands even now uh, what would what would need to, need to be done. And then if he did, would he know how to go about it? Because mm -hmm. you kind of need somebody who's in the swamp, mm -hmm. who understands mm -hmm. the swamp well enough to be able to figure out how do I, you know, cut the living hell out of these guys and, and get away with it because that's what you're really doing because they're going to fight you back. Right. So that's what we saw with Trump and they, I would say they won, mm -hmm. you know, they beat Trump because yeah. it was, it was a big united effort by essentially everybody in, in the federal agencies. And they, they pretty much stopped him cold. He got a lot of stuff done, but most of what he's done has already been unraveled. And right. you know, Biden's taking credit for everything Trump did that was good. I don't know. It's a mess yeah. and how it gets fixed. I don't think, truthfully, I don't think it's fixable because I don't think we have anybody with the courage to do it. Hmm. So for all of you listeners out there, 
Does somebody have the courage to fix things? Do you know someone who has the courage? You know, a lot of people say that the place to start is locally, you know, with your school board and your, you know, your local officials voting in people who are honest and who want to change things and make things really actually make things better. So maybe that's, that is the place to start. Uh, yes, I, I think it's a way certainly to help and to get, uh, you know, conservatives or Republicans have uh, really done well at state level elections for quite a few number of years. So there's a lot of good people out in those ranks. But on the other hand, we have this problem of people becoming professional politicians right. and going up through those ranks and term limits. I, I, I mean, I would be happy to see term limits passed, but. I question if, how much that will fix of the problem. I'm not sure. I mm -hmm. think it would be positive, but I don't think it would be any, it, it's definitely not going to be a silver bullet. It's not going to fix it. Would it help? I think it would, but you're still, can you do a career by starting out in state legislature and then moving up into Congress and then moving up to the Senate and things like that? I mean, I think you could make a career out of it. Personally, I would be almost inclined to be, you know, when Congress first started, those were all unpaid jobs. Mm, you just mm -hmm, did that mm -hmm. and you paid for it yourself out of your pocket. Personally, I would like to see something like that where congressmen are unpaid. Now, uh, the complaint, of course, would, would be that, you know, somebody poor couldn't afford to be a congressman right. because they'd have to pay for it out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. And OK, yeah, that's a legitimate, legitimate complaint. So, I mean, I don't think it's a practical solution because I don't think the majority would ever go for it. But uh, what would you fix with that? And I think by having people that believed in it so strongly that they believed that that they wanted to pay for it out of their pocket to have the opportunity to be there to try and do what needs to be done, mm -hmm. that means they would all come out of private sector. Mm -hmm. They would all come out of business. They would have all had to do things like meet a, a payroll, you know, to their to their work people that work for them, their employees, and 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 pay their taxes and pay those social security payments. You know, most people don't even know. You know, your social security payment that comes out of your check, that has to be matched by your employer. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Not, you know, and, and a lot of people aren't even aware of that. So that just to have the to have employees, it costs it costs the company money above and beyond your salary, plus the administrative overhead to hire people and all that. It's a it's a pain. It's expensive. Mm -hmm. And people who understand those things would be a far more responsible government because they would know the vast majority, something like 90% of people in government have only ever worked in government. Wow. So they don't know. They don't understand budgets. I, mm. I remember in conversations, again, coming out of banking, uh, I would have con conversations at the agency where I'd be, I would say things like, well, you know, are we getting the bang for the buck by doing it that way? I mean, it's costing us X amount of money. And what we're getting is this, where if we take that money and put it over here, we'll get 10 of those instead of one of them doing it this way. And people would just like go cross-eyed and get pissed off at me. And I'm, I'm going, well, wait a minute. I'm just, you know, I'm floating a concept here of how we can use our money better. Why would you be mad at me for that? But that's government. That's how it works. The I rarely, rarely, rarely did I meet somebody in government, uh, in federal government, who had done anything outside of federal government. Hmm. And you, and even most of those that you meet are all from a very narrow thing where they come out of some, uh, you know, like academic background or a lawyer or something that's basically that same, you know, type of bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not um, 
uh, not a thing where they've actually, you know, like uh, opened a, you know, a builder that has, you know, that, that builds, you know, 10,000 homes a year and is a billionaire because he built this business up or something. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, 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 you don't get anything of even vaguely of that nature at any level. Um, very, very rare. Sometimes in congressmen, you'll have rich people run and win. But uh, again, it's not that, you know, you just don't see that type of person that builds a business up and goes through all these lessons. Mm-hmm. I personally, if I could pick one thing to do, I think that would be very high on my list. And uh, I would I would suggest not paying congressmen anything and certainly not giving them full retirement after four years, <laughs> something I worked 25 <laughs> years for. Mm-hmm. They get in four years, you yep. know, screw that. I mean, who the hell are they to, to, to devote that to themselves? I, I would take that away from all of them. Anyone that got it, I don't care how long ago it was. That's that's a that's a. Just a shame. That's a, a a pity that that ever got passed. But anyway, they they can you know they can vote themselves anything they want and they get it. Mm-hmm. And but that would be what I would do. I think that would be something that would go a long way into into helping the problems because people would have to come from private sector where they have different experiences and they would have to be long enough in the private sector to get to the point where they were successful enough that they could afford to be in Congress. And I think you'd see people that we're a lot smarter that way as well. I think part of our pro- problem is a lot of congressmen are stupid. Mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, we had a, a certain congressman ask a Marine general one time in on the Hill, this guy from Georgia, uh, the congressman was from Georgia, mm-hmm. and he asked if, if the Marines, it was during a hurricane, after a hurricane emergency, and we were stacking, you know, trucks and equipment and bottles of water and all this stuff at this port on one side of the island. And he asked the general if they were worried about the island tipping over because of all of that weight only on one side of the island. You're kidding. I know. Oh, I'm God. not kidding. Well, on that no, note. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just insanity. There's, there's some of the people that get in there are just, I mean, <laughs> you know, look at AOC. I mean, mm. AOC, uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. has a degree in political economics. Well, That's a very interesting thing. People should understand the difference. That's worth touching on because economics and political economics are two completely separate things. Those are really only vaguely related. And I I will uh, I'll I'll use an example. I spent a lot of time in uh, both communist and former communist countries and uh, was a a little vignette here. I was driving along in the countryside and. Uh, there were these apple orchards out there, just miles and miles of apple orchards. And there was no town or village or anything nearby. And off in the distance, kind of near all these apple orchards, I see these massive buildings, these big, massive cement buildings. And I'm I'm in the car with former KGB guys. They were all active duty still for their local service, but it was after the breakup of the Soviet Union. But they had all been hired and were, were KGB people. Mm-hmm. And so we're driving along and I see all these massive, massive, I mean, multiple city blocks of huge cement buildings, multiple stories. And I point to it and I said, what the hell is all that? Why is this enormous building complex out in the middle of nowhere? There's nothing near us. And the guy looks at me and he says, that is a monument to socialism. Oh, God. And, you know, I thought it was very funny at the time. And so I get into it. So what it was, was this enormous complex that part of being the socialist man is that you had to have your socialist responsibilities. So all college students would go out there and pick the apples for, you know, every season as part of the march towards socialism. They would be forced labor to go out and pick apples and they would put them up in these big cement buildings going on. But that was the way that 
that socialism did things. For example, um, the Alpha, Alpha TV, that was the color TV made by the Soviet Union. There was only one company that made color TVs for them, uh-huh. and that was it. And so they would look at it and go, well, we need jobs in this village in the Ukraine. So they would put a, a factory there that produces uh, like component parts that go in this television. Okay. And now we need jobs over in this area of Siberia. And so they would put stuff over in that area and that, that were jobs that were like more parts that go to this television. And now we're going to assemble it. And where do we assemble it? And it was in the former Soviet Republic of Moldova. And so we would then bring all of those parts to this place in Moldova and we put it all together there. And we have two of these big production facilities in the entire Soviet Union. And from there, they go back out all over the country. Okay, that is is political economics because we need jobs in this village. We're going to put a production facility there to make those things. Mm-hmm. And that gives jobs to this village because that's what we have to do. Now, what what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that takes nothing into account that's actual economics. Actual economics would be, well, where is the most cost efficient place to put the production facilities? You know, where is it in relation to our plant where we are actually going to put the TVs together? What is the transportation cost? You know, what is the workforce that the, that's in that area? Are they educated to our needs? All of those things are economic decisions. Mm-hmm. A village needing a job, that is political economic decision. Completely separate, different things. That is the efficiency of capitalism. That's why we can build color TVs at a million of them for every one that they could produce out of the Soviet Union because they didn't have those efficiencies. That's why they went broke because that TV, you know, because it's it's an official economy, there was an official price for those TVs. So the vast majority of those TVs were sold in the in the official government stores at the official government price, mm-hmm. which was super cheap, which meant they were upside down on every single television sold because they would cost more to produce the TV than what they got when they sold it. Wow. Because they, they didn't have any efficiencies built mm-hmm. into it. That's the entire that's how socialist, communist, centralized planning economies work. That is what political economics is. That is what uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez believes things should be. And so when you hear her talking, I hear her say these things. And, of course, I've met people like that from all over, you know, the former, like I said, communist and socialist countries. That's that's what they're taught. So they believe that mm-hmm. crap. And and that's that's her. So she comes up with these just absolutely absurd things about the economy and how it should be and all of that. And oh my God, that's just embarrassing, the stupidity. I should say ignorance rather than stupidity, but it's it's just unbelievable the things that that are have been put into her head of, of how she thinks thinks things should work. Like for example, just in what I was talking about with the TVs, you know, for her it would be perfectly reasonable to put a production facility in a little village in Ukraine that has nothing to do with anything and bad roads and no train and all of that for transportation back to the a facility that puts the TVs together for her, it makes more sense to put it in that little village, even though that leaves you upside down because she doesn't care if those TVs are sold at a profit so you can make more TVs. Mm -hmm. She doesn't care about that. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't care about the fact that by doing that and with competition, you bring that price down to the lowest, most affordable level it can be at. And 
That's how we got cars in the United States to, you know, cars, our movement all around. It's given us such freedom as a society that came from precisely that doing it efficiently, economically to, so that you can lower the price down low enough so that a car became an everyman thing in the early days. It was only the very wealthy. Mm -hmm. Think what life would be like now (laughs) if it were not for capitalism, Mm -hmm. you know, for the vehicles that we drive. And that spread to all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that capitalism gave more freedom to more people to move around than than anything else ever has done. And, And that's that freedom of the individual. That's why it's so important to be able to do that. That's why capitalism creates social justice. And any leftist philosophy only destroys social justice. Governments do you know just you can't impose by order social justice and just shoot everybody who says something you don't like that's not social justice that's social injustice mm-hmm. but here we find ourselves i don't think i i don't know that we'll 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 bring those people up through but i hope so uh, by the way certainly a viewer mentioned to me once long ago that you can immediately be uh they're always looking for volunteers to be precinct captains uh in the republican party and if anyone's interested that's an extremely easy way to get involved and uh, they always need volunteers so it's all you know fairly sure thing that you'll be able to do it mm-hmm. wow well brad this has been quite an education i have to say uh, i've learned a lot i'm sure the listeners have Wow, I really appreciate who you are and your your depth and breadth of knowledge is is uh, quite quite substantive. <laughs> well, thank you. I, you know, it's it's one of those things. You live overseas all over. I've spent more than twenty years overseas. You can't help but pick up something along the way. There's an old saying that even a blind pig finds an acorn once in a while. Mm-hmm. Well, I've often felt that um, living overseas myself that it's something that everyone should do. You really get a different perspective on life and, and humanity when you live in other countries for a while. Yeah, maybe that's what we should do with our congressmen is make sure they come from private sector and then go send them to live in Cuba for a year. They'll come back singing a different tune then. I've been there. That place is a S-hole. You know, nobody would want to go back to that or, or propose that for I know. Us. It's, I, I did go. I was there oh. How long ago? Maybe four or five years ago. It's kind of sad. It really is. Um, the people are pretty desperate there. Oh yeah, it is. It's and it's that that political economy that they've done that's just destroyed everything. If they if they allow the ingenuity of the of of private people to grow, and uh, they would they would turn their economy around in two or three years. They'd have a booming economy, but they can't. It's that centralized economy. They're still using the communist methodology, and it just like I said, it sucks the economy dry of any motive to do well. And, uh, and and it takes up all the capital out of the system that that you need for investment in the economy. So it's, it's I, like I said, I, I really, truly, honestly don't think that anybody who's rational would would, you know, could be involved with something like socialism or communism or progressivism or liberalism. It's just it's too evil of a philosophy. It does too much harm. It creates too much social injustice and it just plain murders too damn many people. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a horrible, horrible thing. I find it. You know, very distasteful. Most of the people I know that are that are liberal have just they're 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 just so indoctrinated and ignorant of almost anything that it's it's a crime. I mean, a slavery of the mind like that, where you've taught people to believe so much nonsense, is is a, a form of slavery of the mind, which personally I view as a great mm-hmm. evil. 
Well, thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate this. And um, yeah, I would like to uh, maybe in a month or two, talk about some other things. I, I'd like to get into more history. We were going to talk about 9-11 and then I decided it would be good to talk about our current current situation. But um, there are so many things that you know, if you don't, if you if you don't have an inside perspective, it's hard to know what is true and what isn't true. Absolutely, I'd be delighted to come back and join you again, and uh, always enjoy talking about history. So I'd be delighted to come oh, back. Oh, great. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate this. All right, my you pleasure. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, if you made it through all three hours, I want to thank you so much. I'm sure there are areas of disagreement with Brad's point of view, and that's great. We should be able to consider points of view that differ from our own. That's what freedom of choice is all about. And remember, the podcast website is realjanine.com, and you can watch video slideshows of my conversations on YouTube and BitChute. Please share this conversation with family and friends. Until next time, take care and be well.